0: Just get set up here. So, we're going to dive right in today. If I can turn this thing on. And so if you have your Bibles, you can uh, go ahead and turn them on, open them up, whatever it might be. We're going to start with reading a verse in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And uh, I just want to read this verse to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be diving in today and actually over the next few weeks as just kind of a, a grounding for what we're going to be diving into. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love that verse. It's such a powerful verse about the Word of God. And here at Calvary Chapel, uh, as a whole and, and in this service, we firmly stand behind this verse as a statement that is true for what we believe. We believe here in sola scriptura, probably saying that kind of close to right. And what that means is that Scripture alone is our authority. We set Scripture alone as our authority And we set it as the word of God. As the scripture says, this means that we believe the Bible is God-breathed. It's not uh, just some some guys wrote some things and and God was like, yeah, okay, I approve. This was God-breathed. Every word is the word of God. And it's true. And we believe that it's truths. What it has in it is powerful and can change and should influence our lives if we will open ourselves up to it. So through this service and through all the services here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in the power of God's word and the teaching of God's word to, as the verse says, thoroughly equip us for everything that God has called us to do. We need his word to equip us for what he's called us to do. And I've started with reading this verse. I may even read it again the next couple of weeks because today we're going to start kind of a, a mini-series that I'm kind of tagging on to our series uh, with, or within our current series. We've kind of reached week seven of a series of seven psalms. So I still want to stay in that framework. Technically, we are only doing seven psalms, but we're going to take a little bit more time on this last one because I picked a very long one. Um, and... Uh, the longest one, actually. We're going to be diving into Psalm 119 and somehow packing that into three weeks. It's a long one, so it's definitely got to be at least a three-parter. And in what we read in 2 Timothy will be our foundation for the next three weeks because Psalm 119 is a praise about God's Word. It's a just a celebration of to his word and its authority, and its ability to teach us, as we saw in Timothy, to teach us, to rebuke us, and correct us, which isn't always pleasant, but necessary, to train us in righteousness, and to thoroughly equip us so that we can do the works that he's called us to do. So that's what we're going to be diving into. Before we do, I just want to take a minute and kind of give this time over to God, so we'll... Lift it up in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. That is our ultimate authority, God. That it is our our source. And we look at your word, Father, not as just a book, but as your word. And as such, Father, a part of who you are. You and your word are one. So we thank you that we have it. We have something we can hold in our hands and read and study and grow in you. And I ask that you would open our hearts. To receive from you today, and you would open my heart, Father, to speak only your truth, and for your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, before we go in, let's take a little bit of time to talk about Psalm one nineteen. As I mentioned, it's long; it's very long. It's one hundred and seventy six verses, uh, so it might take a. It's going to be a little bit of cramming to get it all in, but. We're going to make it happen. It's the longest psalm. It pales in comparison. Last week we looked at one that was 11 verses, so you can kind of get an idea of how just massive 176 verses is. And it's even the longest chapter in the entire Bible. In fact, you could take 30 of the smaller books of the Bible and fit it inside of this one psalm. That's how massive it is, especially in comparison to what most of the texts look like. And it's centered almost exactly in the middle of the Bible. It seems to have such a, a purpose to it. And it's called the Great Psalm for obvious reasons. One, because of its size, because it's so long, because it's so massive. But also because of its broadness and its depth and context. What it has to offer and how much it it talks about the Word of God and how it has the answers for us. It has life to give and how we can... We should want it to teach us and want it to guide us and want it, we want it to delight in his word. Now, um, the writer, or possibly writers, is unknown. It's, uh, we don't know who compiled this psalm, but uh, there is something to be said about the way they did. There's a, a, a literary significance in the way that it's laid out, the way that they kind of built this psalm. Um, first of all, it's a song. As most of the Psalms are, it was meant to be sung as a uh, kind of a prayer from the heart. Now, we're not going to sing it today. Trust me, no one here wants to hear me sing ever. But as we go through the text, it is my hope that we would be praying it, that we would be connecting with it in that way, that it's something that we're speaking from our own hearts, that we're wanting to pray this to God and, and kind of connecting with the writer in his prayer or his song to God and this psalm is one of a about a dozen or so acrostic poems in the Bible and it's kind of basically that means it's broken down into uh, an alphabetic alphabetical kind of structure and uh, what that means I found that this isn't in all translations or all versions of the Bible but in the English one we have these little curvy looking symbol things as a you see the psalm is broken up into sections of eight verses. And each one begins with a strange word and a little curvy thing. And what that is, is the uh, alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. Now for those of that know the Hebrew alphabet, that was all very clear to you. I didn't, I didn't uh, know the Hebrew alphabet. And what it's broken down into is these stanzas. So 22 stanzas for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And they kind of coincide. So you have eight lines within each stanza. And each line begins in Hebrew, of course, not in English or German or any other language. But in Hebrew, as it was written, each line would begin with that corresponding letter. So, for example, the first stanza... Would represent the equivalent of A, and as such, every line in the first, in verses one through eight, would all start with A, and then in verses nine through sixteen, they would all start with B. And so this kind of goes all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. And it's a really eloquent and beautifully, carefully laid out verse. It's, I it's it really fascinates me. And there's definitely something to be said, there's something significant in the way that it is even structured. So before we even get into the context, before we look at what the words are, we can just look at the way it's laid out so purposely, so carefully, so strategically. And there's a reason for that. I think, to me, it just reminds me of an image of, hey, we can take all of the letters of the alphabet and we can compile all these words and in all of them there is a glory that. God deserves that is owed God in it no matter how we structure no matter how extensive or how long we go in a psalm we're still end up short of giving God all the glory that he deserves all the honor that is his and so I think that is a part of why it's laid out and there's something beautiful and significant to be pointed to in that now our plan for today and over the next few weeks because it is a lot of reading. We won't have time to go verse by verse and kind of dissecting it like we did last week. I mean, we spent 50 minutes on 11 verses, so if you did the math on that, uh, 176 would take us uh, a long time to get through. We're not going to dissect it like that. We are going to look at it by stanza. So we're going to take eight verses, we're going to look at them, we're going to pull out a few things that we can apply and try to find some kind of streamline to hold to as we go through our verses. We're going to go through seven stanzas today. It'll bring us to verse 56. And so um, I think that uh, as we go through it, though, I want to be clear that this is the Bible talking about the Bible. And there's something significant and wonderful in that. And so I think we would be doing it an injustice by not letting it have its full say. And so we will read every word of this psalm because it's my hope that even though we're kind of cramming a lot into three weeks and we won't have time to dive into every single aspect and every theme that's addressed, I believe that God wants to use this psalm in its entirety to speak to you guys to challenge you, to enlighten you about His Word and the wonders of His Word, and to encourage you and strengthen you in it, that we would go to His Word in our times of need and our times of joy. And so, even though we won't go through it all, I do hope that we will have our hearts open. So even as we're reading through the text, let the text speak to you. I really kind of fought with this. I was uh, originally going to just kind of talk about it, and then just pull out some themes from it. But uh, God really kind of challenged me on that, that He wants His Word to speak for His Word. I mean, it's literally the Bible talking about the Bible. So what? how could I uh, not let it have its full say and speak for itself? And uh, one more thing before we dive into our text, our massive text. There are a few words that are used kind of repeatedly throughout the text, that we could basically translate Bible as we know it, because we kind of call the Bible, it's all just the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so with that in mind, I want to tell you, go through these words, because they do have kind of an individual significance, and they all could be translated Bible, but he uses different ones at different times. And I'm going to go through them very quickly. Uh, Seven that I found... Were you, that were used quite often. In fact, in the first stanza, I think all of these except one will be used. So you'll hear them right away, and uh, just so you have an idea of what these are. So one is law, and that means instruction. That's God's instruction to the Israelites and to us today. Another one is testimonies that we'll see the writer use often. And this is what God solemnly testifies about his will. His will what is his will, what will be his will, and what he has testified about it. Uh, So not, uh, you know, not personal testimonies, not individuals' testimonies. This is God's testimonies, when the writer is referring to that. Another one is precepts, and this is one that we, as far as I could find, we only really see in the Psalms, and... um, it's what God has appointed to be done. I think you could tie in things like what we saw last week where David, uh, David's words were also kind of a precept, so kind of a, a, a something that God was declaring that would be about Jesus. So it also could tie in with prophecies. But uh, anything that God says will happen is a precept of God, and we see that a lot in the first five books of Moses. Another is statutes. And this is what the divine lawgiver, God as lawgiver, has laid down. So this is kind of the law of God, I would call it, whereas law is kind of more to do with instruction as in the psalm. Next one is commandments. This was pretty clear. This is things that God has given as commandments, from the Ten Commandments to all through uh, the early books of uh, Moses where we see the different laws that he's given and the commandments that he said this is what to do. Another is rules. this is what the divine judge has ruled to be right, so he 's weighed it, he said this is what 's right he 's made a ruling on it, and we can take that as truth and The last one is one that we use quite commonly today is word, and that applies, of course, to the entire Bible, as we saw in, in Timothy that the, the Word of God, it's God-breathed. It it's, is His Word. It's all His Word. And so that's anything that God has spoken. So those are just some things you can be looking for. I wanted to make sure that it's clear that these all could be translated today in our modern speech as Bible. So let's get into it. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless... Who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Now the section, in this section, what I want to focus on is something I find is the center of it. And kind of, there's a reason why it starts with this. And that's that we are blessed in living in obedience to the word of God. And this is important. I think there's a reason why the psalm starts with that. In fact, he even kind of double emphasizes it. The first two verses are kind of like this double blessing that we have access to as we live in obedience to God's word. And this also echoes in Psalms 1 one through 3, the beginning of the entire book. That I'll read really quickly. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prosper. So we see again this image of blessing. And one of my favorite images, I'm quite an outdoors person, I love to be outside, I love especially being in a woods and so i love this image of a tree planted by a stream. In fact, one of my favorite places uh, near my house to kind of walk through is a a wood and it's got the stream flowing through it and the trees that are next to it are massive and tall and strong. And so we don't want to we want to we want to have that as as an image to seek to have that kind of blessing to be as a tree planted by a stream that whatever we do would prosper. When we are following and living in obedience to God's word. So who's blessed? Those who walk according to the law of the Lord. And this is where we're going to spend most of our emphasis as we go through the text. It's those who keep his statutes. Those who walk in his ways. And in verse 5 and 8, it draws out this kind of desperate longing for that. It's not that... He wants to walk in God's ways. It sounds nice when he has time, when he's off, when he doesn't have anything better to do. He's desperate for it. He longs for it. There's a deep desire to obey God's commands in his life. And oh, that that would be my desire, that I would hunger like that, that I would strive for it. And also I'll point out really quickly in verse 8 this do not utterly forsake me, this almost fear in it that I, I long for it, I desire it, and I, I fear that I wouldn't do it, that I wouldn't live in a life, live in a way that is obedient to your word, and another thing that I want to draw on is verse six then I, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands and what this draws my attention to is what another image we see in James, that the word of God is like a mirror. James 1, through 24, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Has that ever happened to you? You look in the mirror, you get ready, and then you walk away and forget what color your eyes are or what your hair looks like? It's crazy. That's his point. That's insane. As we look into God's Word, what's going to happen first is that we're going to see our faults and our fears, our shortcomings, and the sins in our life. It draws them out. It makes them visible to us. Because it sets this standard. And as that happens, it should be what leads us to his grace. It should be what leads us to him and obedience. Because not only does it show us the things that are wrong, but it gives us the tools to see them changed, to see them transformed. It is only through the word of God, through The life giving promises that are found in the Word of God that we can see real transformation in our lives. Let's move to verses 9 through 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you. Lord, teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now here we see this satisfaction, this deep satisfaction that comes through our sanctification. And that's the changing of us, the molding of us, the transforming of us through God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we truly be transformed and changed. And there's this satisfaction in it. And I'll just kind of highlight a few of his phrases again. "That Praise you, Lord, as you teach me. I rejoice in following you as somebody who has riches. And that's what we looked at last week that God should be our treasure, that we should seek him as our treasure. I delight in your decrees. And in verse 9, the, how this all begins is with a question How can one stay on the right path of purity? How can somebody be going in the right direction? By living according to the word. By living in obedience to the word of God. And how do we do that? First and foremost, by knowing the word of God. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 12, teach me your decrees. Again, this desperate desire to want to know his word, to want to put it inside his heart, and in verse thirteen this how he says it that it would always be on his lips this is this is memorizing the Word of God. this doesn 't mean that he 's reading it all the time it 's on his lips because he 's hidden it in his heart, and he speaks it out, he recites it, and this is something that I would encourage all of us to do on a daily basis, to memorize God's Word and to recite it at work, at home, when you're in public transportation, which can sometimes be a lot of time in our days. It's a great opportunity to be reciting God's Word that we've hidden in our hearts. Now, where I work, I'm not allowed to listen to music, which should be illegal, because, like, it's insane to work all day and not listen to music, and I'll be real with you guys, I've been struggling with this lately. But when I first started working, I was a little more diligent than I am now in memorizing scripture and throughout my day reciting it in my heart, meditating on it, and I can tell you it does work. It transforms your heart, it transforms your life. Again, not being very good at it lately. Most of the time I'm spending time thinking about this, about the sermon. But it's so important to take time to hide his word in our heart. This is the beginning of living blessed through obedience, is knowing God in his word, knowing him in his word and hiding that deep in your heart, meaning memorizing scripture so that, that is, what's within you is going to be what comes out when you're in a hard situation, when you're dealing with something, when you need to encourage somebody, put that word of God deep in your heart. Know him through that. Verse 17 through 24. Be good to your servant while I live that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are accused, who, whose, those who stray from your commands. Remove from me their scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. And in verse 24, it's something we looked at a lot last week, that making God our counselor. And that we want to, as we make him our treasure, as we delight in him, we want to make him also our counselor. And this is really important. And uh, in verse 18, there's kind of this... It's God that gives us the understanding of his word. So verse 18, let's read that again. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So as God is our counselor, as we make him our counselor, we also can ask him to open our eyes, to reveal truths about his word. I don't know about you, but there have been times, I think probably we've all had times where we're reading the Word, maybe it's something, a passage we've read a hundred times, and for some reason this time when we've read it, it popped out. It came alive. It penetrated our hearts. It spoke to us. It was almost like it was speaking right to us. That's God revealing His truth. That's God opening our eyes to see His Word, to see Him in His Word. So we can ask him for that. And in Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is alive and active. It is truly alive and active. It is something that does speak to us. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what God's word has for us. It's something that's alive, it's active, and it's penetrating our hearts through the problems we're facing, through our fears, through our insecurities. It goes deep. And it is sharp, and it's not always a nice, cozy, warm feeling when God deals with us as we, again, as our base for this whole text, that God's word teaches us and prepares us, equips us for the work, but it also corrects us and rebukes us when we need to be rebuked. And sometimes, I've had times where I've been rebuked and it's not always fun, but man, I'm always so, so thankful for it. It shows that God is working on me, that he's doing a work in me, and he has a purpose in what he's doing. So, as we read the word, make God your counselor in that word and know that it is him that is going to reveal those truths to you so you can ask him, you can seek him, to reveal those truths to you. We can come to him and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm struggling with this text. Help me to understand. As this psalm has laid out, we can pray in connection with this writer. God, teach me. Open my eyes. Verses 25 through 32. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me. And teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands. For you have broadened my understanding. And I'm just going to go away from my notes dangerously. And just say that. God, here we see him kind of always coming from this place of you've, you've, I am laid low in the dust is how it begins. This kind of low place, this place of just utter defeat. And in those places, I would encourage all of us to jump in right with this text as our prayer that from that place we would cry out that God would teach us his decrees that he would strengthen us through his word, through the promises of his word. And what I want to point out also is in verse 30 through 32, there's this kind of pointing to action, to the action on our part, the choice of obedience. So we want to know the word because we want to be blessed. Let's start there. We want to be blessed. And we want to be blessed in obedience to God's word, as He is our counselor, as He is teaching us, as He is revealing His word to us, and there is an action in that. I talked about memorizing Scripture, but we want to really meditate on it. As the as He keeps re, this kind of phrase of meditating on the word just keeps coming up. And I want to. I mentioned this last week, but I'll, I'll read it this week. Romans 12, two Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is about taking action. This is about what we do. We want to renew our mind. And the best way to renew our mind is to live in obedience to the Word by putting His Word, hiding it in our hearts, knowing it, memorizing it, and, you know, this really answers, I mean, to me, I think one of the biggest questions we see in church today is, what does God want me to do? What's, where is God leading me? What am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with this situation? Well, this answers the question. If you want to know what God wants you to do, you can test and approve what God's will is when you have your mind renewed. When we know God's Word, when when His Word is saturating everything that we do and everything that we are, and we're living in this kind of desperate desire to live in obedience to His Word, those questions come really easy. Not always easy, and it's not always really clear, but when we're living in obedience to God's Word, we are where God wants us to be. And He will direct us from there. And in verse 29 that he is gracious to teach us and to guide us in his word and through his spirit because his spirit and the word of god so the holy spirit and the word of god are not two different things that you know we can kind of you know separate they're together they go hand in hand they belong to one another and so i would encourage you it's it's the holy spirit that's changing us and we have the Word of God in front of us, let's utilize them both. Let's live a life led by the Spirit. I'm totally 100% behind that. We don't want to have the other, the other side of it. We don't want to have dry text where we're just reading the Bible because it's a duty that needs to be done, and we know everything about it. We can you know, read it in 100 different languages, but we have no Holy Spirit, then that's going to be empty But if we have all just this kind of just led by the Holy Spirit, but I don't know about that Bible thing, it's not really for me, we're also going to come up to problems when we have questions of what God's will is. That's where we need to be also renewing our mind. Our spirit and our mind can be connected in that when we know God's word and we live led by the Spirit. So I would encourage you to utilize both of those things in your life. Verse 33 through 40. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. And I just want to say really quick that I love this, that he's not, he doesn't say that I can follow it this week, that I can follow it today, but follow it to the end. God wants to give us what we need to reach the end, to live blessed in obedience to his word till the end of our days. Verse 34, give me understanding so that i may keep your law and obey it with all my heart direct me in the path of your commands for there i find delight turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain turn my heart turn my eyes away from worthless things preserve my life according to your word and that's a lot of what we looked at last week of making god our treasure and not Things in the world. verse 38, fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. how I long for your precepts in your righteousness preserve my life. how I long for your precepts. So first we see this that the writer is kind of again, as we saw earlier in the text, just calling on God, to be the one who reveals the truth, who opens his eyes, open his heart, to be able to understand the truth of God's word, that he may obey. That's definitely something that we want to give credit to. Again, we can study the word of God and know it in all the languages and know everything about it, but we need God and his Holy Spirit to be able to reveal it to us, to understand it as God's word. And... Another thing I want to point out is this kind of this last verse: "How I long for your precepts." This, what you love, is what you are. You are what you love, and what you want and what you seek is going to be the things that you love. And so, as Christians, we always we're quick to say, "I love, I love God, I love the Lord." But if we love God, if we love the Lord, then we also love His Word. Just as God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God are, not, are inseparable, so is God and His Word are also inseparable. There's a quote, His Word is precious, and again, it's alive, it's active, and inseparable from God Himself. And I found this quote from Tim Keller I really liked, that God's Word is His action, His divine power. So taking it even further, not that God and his word are just, it's the same because God said it, it's actually an action. What God speaks is an action. And the easiest way for me to understand this, to kind of wrap my head around it, is to think about what we see in Genesis, that God said, let there be light. And then what was there? Light. God's word and God's action are also one and the same. His His word is His divine power. And this is good news for us. Because as we're struggling with things, and as we're seeking answers, and we go to God's word for those answers, we're not just standing on a book. We're standing on an action. The divine power of God And this is why when we stand on God's word, we're standing on the shoulders of God. That's good news for us. God's not like us. We, a lot of times, say one thing and do another, and sometimes our words are very distant from who we are. But God's words are His divine power. They are His action. And that's something that we can stand on in every area of our lives. So, 41 through 48. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Again, that's our very salvation is something that we can stand on because it's God's promise. It's not just something that we can hope might happen to us, cross our fingers. It's God's word, it's an action, it's a promise. Verse 42, Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I want to read that again. For I delight in your commands because I love them. That's something that I'm not quite there yet. That's a powerful statement to pray. I delight in them because I love them. Verse 48, I reach out for your commands which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Hmm. Something, I had a few things here, but for time, I'm going to just focus on, on one. And that's in verse 42 and verse 46, that there's this kind of image of being unashamed of that truth. So as we are counseled by God, as we know his word, as we're living in obedience, there's an unashamed kind of just pride in God's word as we love his commands as we delight in his commands he kind of he talks about setting you know standing before kings before rulers he talks about the, the way the world would look at him and he says I'm not ashamed that would be like going on television right now before all of the wisest of, that the world has to offer and to to talk about God's word and be unashamed of what it has to say because you know that his word is true and unfailing and because your love for his commands guides you. That is a powerful place to be. I think we can read past that really quickly and miss the power of being unashamed before a king about what you know to be true. So, our last section, verse 49 through 56. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. And that's again like we saw in verse 42 unashamed unaffected by what the world says by the world's opinions of him or what he believes verse 52 i remember lord your ancient laws and i find comfort in them indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law your decrees are the theme of the theme of my song wherever i lodge in the night, Lord, I remember your name. That's like we looked at last week, that God teaches us in our hearts even as we sleep, that I may keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. What a great way to end. What a great spot to conclude our text for today, that this, this reminder, number one, about what the Bible has to offer us in all situations in the midst of great affliction and the way that he describes his hard times as you know being in the dust i imagine it was some severe hard times and just to point out some of those phrases used in this last text that the bible gives us hope in verse 49 that it is a comfort to us that his statutes his laws his his word is a comfort To us in verse 50 and 52. And this interesting and very poetic expression it is the theme of our song. You can try to wrap your brain around that yourselves and what that means for you. He is the theme for our songs. And I want to read verse, this is just on my heart, I want to read verse 50 again. I just feel like when we're struggling, what a great reminder that my comfort in my suffering, in the midst of my turmoil, in the midst of my hard times, your promise preserves my life. That's the word of God preserves our life in the midst of all our hard times. And in verse 56, the concluding point this has been my practice. I obey your precepts. And that would be my challenge for all of us, myself. Number one, that we would be able to say that with a confidence, the way that this is stated. This has been my practice. I have obeyed your precepts. So in closing, I'll recap some of the things that we grabbed from this, that that we're blessed in living a life of obedience to the Word of God. And the beginning of that, the beginning of living in obedience is knowing God's Word and hiding it in your heart. And again, I would challenge you to memorize Scripture. Even just if you have little verse cards and you do like one or two a week, it's something important to be hiding it in your heart. And as we do, remember it's God that gives you the understanding. When that text means something to you, when it reaches into your heart, When it impacts and transforms your life, that's God's revealing. And one, I would you can ask him for that always. And two, I would thank him for that every time it happens. Every time it's like, oh that's what that verse is. Thank him. And lastly, take action. Renew your mind. Be active in renewing your mind so that you have that hidden in your heart, that you know his word, that you can test and see where God's will, or his perfect will is for you and your life. Because we are what we love and what we seek is what we love. So as we love the Lord, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, let's not forget the word of God. Let's not forget the Bible and bring that That's a huge part of our life. and I'll invite the band. You guys can come up. We're going to do one more song here in a moment. And uh, I would encourage you guys with this. I would challenge you with this. To read through, at least read through the text we read through today. If not, the whole psalm. Read over the next three weeks. I would encourage you guys to read this text again at home. So verses 1 through 56... Sounds like a lot. It's not that much. It takes a couple minutes. Read through it. Meditate on it. Pray it to God. And ask Him to reveal His truth to you. So let's sing a song. We want to glorify God. We want to give Him praise because it's, He deserves it. And we want to do that together. So I invite you to stand as we worship.